years old. My first ever memory was being in this bedsit, uh, holding my mom's hand, and she knocked on the door of another lady who lived there and seeing a can of carnation on the table, carnation milk. So my first ever memory is that can of carnation milk, the red and the white and the flower, and just seeing it and just being fascinated by that. So that's my first ever memory. So. Welcome to Stay Home, a podcast helping to share your stories of lockdown, wherever you are. Hosted by yours truly, Viola Bunyaku from London, and my various guests from around the world. Each episode will capture the unique experiences and perspectives of our guests, helping the world stay connected and less alone in these strange times. This week, we have Mo from West London joining us. So I was uh, born in Qatar um, to uh, Somali parents, parents from Somaliland. So the breakaway region of Somalia um yeah in the 80s um but back then it wasn't Qatar wasn't the country that it is now I think it was just just taking off um I have family in the Middle East and they've lived there for about 30 40 years and there really isn't a future there for you unless you're a local it's 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 a racism issue it's a xenophobia issue so for example if you are born in Qatar, if you're born in the UAE, you don't get a passport uh, and you have to so kind of renew your visa every so often. Um, passports only handed out to locals or if they really, really like you, they'll give you a passport. Um, if exactly, if you're rich enough and, you know, they show favor and it's, it's not, it's not, um, you don't earn one on merit. You don't earn one by being born in the country and, and, and given a start. It's your, your life there is very precarious. Um, and my dad realized this um, and he thought that the best place to come to would be um, the UK. So we came to London. I was about two years old when I first came here. We moved into a bedsit in Paddington. Um, so then so then after that, we were um, moved to uh, Islington because Islington wasn't the place it kind of was now. It wasn't as nice. Um, so they moved us there. Um, and yeah. Uh, we've kind of lived most around London um, and I have, I'm the oldest and I have three younger siblings, two boys and a girl. If anybody asks me, I always say I'm Somali. I'm from Somaliland. I'm from Hargeisa, which is my hometown. I don't say I'm uh, British. I don't say I'm English. I don't say I'm Qatari. Not that I've got anything against it. It's just I feel strongly uh, that that's my identity and that and that's where I'm from. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's strange because it, you, it could go either way. You could go with the country of your birth, you can go with the country that you've grown up and that you've lived in all your life, most of your life, um, or the country that you feel most connected to. And, and Somaliland is the country that I feel most connected to. I, I speak the language, I, I entrench myself in the culture, music, politics. Um, I really do keep in touch with everything and I, and I feel strongly that that's, that's my identity, but for the uh, just for kind of like ease if I'm on holiday and or if I'm abroad somewhere and people don't know where it is I then say I'm British I'm from London there is the perception that a lot of ethnic minorities of our generation will face some sort of identity conflict or crisis and whilst I think that might be true for some people a lot of us have quite a strong sense of identity and self 
Um, I personally strongly identify as being from Kosovo and you seem quite rooted in your identity as well. Do you think that perhaps one thing that is bringing everyone of our generation together, so the millennial generation, and I'll even, I'll even include the Gen Zs in this too, those born after 97, what is bringing us together is the precarious nature of our economy and the world we live in today, sort of a, the Rona times. I'm from a generation where I kind of sort of went to university and, and came out and tried to look for a job and tried to do all that during the financial crash of 2008. And it just, you know, it, it, hit, it hit all us kind of millennials like a ton of bricks. Um, and yeah, it, honestly, it's, I, I could not, you know, I could not have been born at a worse time. I'm really cursing my luck here. Um, so you look at things like how earnings haven't recovered. So people like me, millennials, people my age, we're almost certainly going to earn less than people before us did. And just as we're kind of on our way to, we haven't even, I don't think we've recovered from the 2008 crash yet. And all of a sudden now we've got this, which they're saying is going to be worse. So I don't even know anymore. Yeah, it's just... Ugh. For me, coming from an immigrant background, well, asylum seeker background, really, if I'm honest. Um, there was always that kind of insecurity there, um, like financially uh, speaking. And I think that we were taught at school, um, if you work hard, you know, the world's your oyster and all these sort of platitudes. Um, but I don't know if that's the case anymore. So the whole concept of work hard, you'll get to where you need to be is being fundamentally challenged. And we're seeing the gross inequality in our society through the coronavirus, I think. It's affecting ethnic minorities in the UK more so than it is any other group in terms of health. You know, ethnic minorities are the ones that are delivering the food, delivering the Amazon parcels, working the front line of the NHS, a large percentage of them. So... It just shows you there's a lot of inequality and it's made harder by the fact that we're now going to go into, step into a global recession. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Mm. Um, and it's kind of really shown you, it's just, it's people that have gone from being disposable in the eyes of the government, people that weren't essential, people that whose futures were threatened by the, the visa point scheme that... Uh, this government of sort of fits have brought in now they're labeled key workers essential workers and it just goes to show you how the whole thing it's all rubbish it's all rubbish it means nothing it, it's uh it's so frustrating and, and and the points that you've made how especially in london anyway it's minority i think people are on the front lines like you said they're the bus drivers they're the taxi drivers they're the ones working uh in the nhs um and I think they've been afflicted disproportionately um, by, by this virus. And for anyone that is listening, um, really want to make it clear that this isn't just a feeling or a perception. These are alarming facts. So what we're talking about is BAME, B-A-M-E. So what does that stand for? Black, Asian and minority ethnic groups. These groups make up 14% of England and Wales, yet they're compromising a staggering 40%, 44% of medical staff 
um, to be precise. And what's even more alarming is that this group also makes up one third of those in intensive care due to the coronavirus. So we're seeing scary patterns which haven't fully been broken down and analysed. Uh, this makes it difficult to understand why black, Asian and minority groups are being disproportionately affected by this virus. I was actually going to ask, so when we first, when this all kicked off with the coronavirus and the lockdown, people were staying at home, um, everyone was talking about how this is a big leveller in society because we're all undergoing the same experience. But would you agree with that? I personally am unsure whether I do. Um, no, I, I no, I, I don't think that's true at all. Um, uh, take me for for example. Um, I'm in a very kind of lucky and privileged position where the the moment this kind of started getting a bit more serious, um, our our employees told us pack up your laptops, work from home. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, um, and there's really no change. Uh, there's no change to your salary there's no change to your work the only real difference is is that you're just working from home and you have to have a few pointless zoom calls uh, every 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 day or every couple of days um but there are people out there that had their lives turned upside down i know people that have been furloughed i know people that have uh, lost their jobs because um they started during that w weird period where their employer can't apply to have them furloughed um, I know people now that are working, who work in the food industry. Um, I have friends who work for supermarkets who actually work in the the online fulfillment centers who are pulling 12, 14 hour shifts. The, the people that are hardest hit um, are the ones that are most affected by this. I, I, I keep seeing reports of people having a go at people uh, taking the tube in the morning and saying, why is the underground so packed in the morning? And my thing is, well, I'm sorry, but nobody gets on the central line at that time in the morning or any time, really, unless they absolutely have to. It's a necessity. These people have to get to work. Um, if you don't want them going to their work, either the government should compel their workplaces to shut down or if they're essential workers, then they have to get to work. What, what, what can they do? Some people complain about anything, you know, and a lot. I bet you a lot of these people who are complaining have moved out to their second homes in the country and are working from home and have a glass of wine in their hand and thinking, oh, isn't it terrible? And that people are getting on the tube and traveling around. I'm like, well, okay, not everyone lives the same life, you know? And also, you know, for those of us that do live in London or really densely packed cities, there's often like people living in tower blocks. And I've seen a lot of judgmental posts um, suggesting that people are being irresponsible by walking in, in parks for their daily exercise. And I, to be honest, whether you're out for an hour, an hour and a half makes very little difference um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but these people that are criticising them have gardens, like you're saying, um, or some a balcony, outdoor space, um, and the privilege of having a child per bedroom. Um, if you go back to what we were talking about with the bedsit, there's still the government still uses private accommodations like bedsits to house asylum seekers, um, for example. So that's still going on. Like, could you imagine being in that position now when we're, you know, three, four weeks into this lockdown? People would exactly. be losing it. Exactly. And, and you're right. There are entire families who have to live in a single room in a bedsit with no cooker, with no space. Um, I thought we're supposed to be social distancing. Um, there are people that were victims of the Grenfell Tower 
fire, who still, still to this day, haven't been rehung. Um, but that doesn't surprise me. I, I know what this government's uh, priorities are, and it's definitely not those people. Um, going back to your point about how people who complain about people going out to the parks and whatnot for their, their daily exercise and whatnot. Um, yeah, if you have a large country estate, if you have a large garden or even a balcony, you know, somewhere in uh, the trendy part of Tower Hamlets or, uh, you know, like a really nice gentrified area. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. You can sunbathe there. I've lived in accommodation before where there is no garden, where there is no balcony, um, where the sunlight doesn't even reach your bedroom. Um, what are we supposed to do? You know, I, I, I just don't understand. Yeah. There's that expectation that, um, well, we're all in it together, but actually I think this is exposing that we're not in it together. We're all having very different experiences of, of this pandemic. Um, and I keep thinking about, I keep thinking about you age two in a bedsit with your family um, and just thinking about, cause I, you know, I, I had, we were fortunate enough to stay with my aunt when I first came here, but they did try to put us in a bedsit. We had loads of family friends and family that were in bedsit. So, I, I have loads of memories growing up visiting my family, friends and cousins in bedsits, um, tiny rooms. And to me, they didn't seem that small because I was small myself. Um, but when I think about those families having to endure a lockdown like this, combined with food shortages and being kind of uh, an afterthought to this crisis, I think that makes it really difficult to feel like we're all in it together um, by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. 100%, yeah. It's, the, the, re, the, the reality is that in this country, unless you are white, middle class, you do not matter. You don't, not to the establishment anyway. Uh, you don't, and if you look at and if you look on the flip side, if you look on journalists who are supposed to be keeping these politicians in check, they are also from the exact same background. They probably all went to the same universities and they all probably go drinking together. And it's, and it's a thing I came back to is client journalism. Um, and it's just so depressing. It's so depressing. There, there are a couple of uh, outlets out there that do a really good job. I think Channel 4 News is great. I think Channel 4 News do a really good job of trying to hold politicians to account but I think it's really difficult for um, ethnic minorities to feel like they belong here when most recently um, the leaked Labour report that came out showing that there's not only widespread anti-semitism within the party but also widespread Islamophobia and racism towards black members and there's been a lot of um, pushback from the establishment saying that we should really be focusing on coronavirus right now and we should this stuff doesn't matter this report doesn't matter um which is a really great way to make people feel disenfranchised um and as though they don't matter in the grand scheme of things and i suppose that must make a lot of um people feel quite let down and underrepresented even more so 
I think people are um, using this as this this crisis. Maybe some people are sincere in that they think that we should just focus on coronavirus. But you know that if we're if we're going to carry on as a country, we need to hold politicians to account, government to account. And the biggest way to do that is with an opposite op- a strong opposition government. And we just don't have that in Labour. I'm I'm 33 years old, right? And I've I've supposedly have grown up in a in a tolerant era. Okay, that that's all that's all I've been told growing up. You're lucky you're in a tolerant era. Um, and I've I I I've seen the I've seen the mask slip off uh, a few too many times. And when I say that, I'm talking about everyone from individuals to institutions to employers to everything right and it's not and it's not one of those things where you know typical black man probably thinks the world is out to get him and you know he's got a chip on his shoulder and it's all on his head honestly it really isn't i couldn't care less my, my thing is i just want to be left alone i just want to be left alone i don't want to be bothered i don't want no one to kind of pull me up on anything i don't want no one to have a go at me i just want to quietly go by and just carve out a little piece of this uh, this life for myself and just be anonymous that's that's all i want to be but you see it you see it so much and it's one of those things where it's so hard to describe it's so hard to describe and m- more often than not it's a feeling and then it's confirmed by something you actually see it or hear something and you're thinking ah one thing that i love about my community is that we're extremely self-reliant and self-sufficient uh anywhere we go we kind of uh they have you know they usually they have a strong uh entrepreneurial spirit so they'll set up a shop somewhere and they and if there is an issue then they'll rely on the community and they'll all come together and help each other out so uh we're a community that looks inwards not not outwards from growing up what, what one of my first kind of memories of it is um sort of new immigrants and new asylum seekers from Somalia or maybe somewhere else. Uh, usually there are uh, more so in recent times, you have Somalis coming over from other parts of Europe. So when we came here, we obviously didn't know any English, but the ones who were here would always help you. So they'd help you find somewhere to live and they'd help you get onto the system and they'd try to find you a job. And it doesn't matter whether they know you, if they knew someone that you vaguely knew, they'd help you out. Um, we have a kind of like uh, like a clan structure within Somali. So every Somali can trace back their ancestors going back to, I think, the first kind of like round about five guys. So they're all like five men. So every Somali can kind of trace them back, chase themselves back to one of these five men. So if you're kind of loosely related in some way, uh, they will help you out. Um, um, but in more recent times, it's more of like... Um, uh, with money, for example, we have we have a thing called uh, a hagbed, um, and a hagbed is basic. I'm not sure if they. I'm sure it exists in other parts of of the world as well. Um, every month, you put in money uh, into a pot, and then let's say one. Let's say there's twelve of you, and one person that month gets it. Another person that month gets it, and it's just an easier way of saving um, because the first people that came here didn't really have bank accounts. Um, and obviously, you know what it's like. If you have cash, it's going to burn a hole in your pocket. So if you give it away, you put it into a pot, you're not going to see it. And then when it's your turn, you collect the money. So it works on honor. It works on trust. Um, 
and it's something that a sense of community exactly yeah exactly yeah so like it's hey i want to buy a car i want to get married i need to fix this um join hegbert and it's one of those things where you will ask someone to bring you in so they're like oh have you have you got one i'm looking to join one um bring me in and it's and it's something i really kind of appreciate it it's kind of fallen off in recent times um but it used to be really big when i was younger I think one of the uh, more heartwarming things to come out of this pandemic um, is that sort of sense of community being rebuilt or rediscovered again. Um, and I think that's something that Londoners aren't necessarily known for, um, have a bad reputation for, rather. Um, but I don't, I'm not sure if that's entirely fair. But like, actually, let me, let me ask you a question, because you've, you've kind of grown up in like inner city London like me, right? So from my personal point of view, like, Growing up, you know, like living you know, with, with, with my family and whatnot, and growing up on the same street or on different streets, there are we we've had next door neighbors that we've not even said hello to in like ten or fifteen years. Not one hello, not a good morning, no eye contact, nothing. But they could be someone who is at the end of the road, and we're best friends with them. And it's one thing I've noticed in London: it's like you're, you're either besties with your neighbors. We're strangers. There's no kind of like, you know, like if you, if you go to other parts of the country, because you, you lived in Leicester for a while, didn't you? So I'm not sure. Yeah, because like I, I noticed in Leicester, like a lot of the names were like, morning, hello. Yeah, and you just walk into the shop and they're just saying hello to each other. And it's like, well, do you know them? I'm like, no. I think I uh, lived in a bit of a London bubble. And then before I went to uni, uh, yeah. when I went, when I first went to uni in Leicester, I, uh, I was really shocked at people saying hello to me on the street. I was taken aback. <laughs> Yeah. that's exactly my thing like me and my friend because he lives like just outside the city he lives in um, Beaumont Lees and we're walking to the local shop and, and there's just like elderly woman she's like morning and and my friend's like yeah morning good to see you and I'm like oh so who's that is she is she your neighbor and he goes I was like yeah and he's like oh, I have no idea and I was like what you don't know her and he goes no well, why do you talk to us so like like he goes this is what people do up here they're friendly they say hello to each other and whatnot and i'm like do you know what now that we're on the topic uh i've noticed people have been saying hello to me when i've been out for my walks have you um and wow crystal palace has changed yeah it's not the crystal palace i remember (laughs) people have been saying hello to me and just like smiling and nodding like an acknowledgement i've just been like oh that must be a side effect of the coronavirus i mean all jokes aside it probably is a side effect of the coronavirus um people just living in the moment a little bit more um appreciating others around them i guess usually we're trying to dodge people like bullets when we're walking um and i think that um there's the perception that we're going to uh, be a bigger and better community after this and that we will remember all the sacrifices from ethnic minorities in particular and I, I really just I really hope that's true what this kind of goes back to is basically to, to answer your question I think within like our community and within kind of our circles and, and people that think like us like us we, we will never forget it as long as we live, we will always remember this. Um, but I think 
generally, it will be whitewashed. It will be whitewashed by the media. It will be whitewashed by the majority of society. Um, look at if Grenfell is a great example. Grenfell is a great example that has been completely all erased from uh, the majority of this country's consciousness. The only people that are still keeping that going are ethnic minority people who saw what happened and, and, is, and is trying to shed light on it. The fact that some people still haven't been housed is an absolute disgrace, despite the fact that they said they'll do it within a few days, and they haven't been. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. I will never forget it. And growing up, hearing stories like this has kind of shaped my politics. You can't vote for yourself. You need to vote for the most vulnerable person. Um, you need to vote for the people that need it the most. You need to vote for... You, you, you need to vote with your conscience and not with your wallet. Can you tell us a bit about this song you've chosen uh, for the podcast and why you've chosen it? Could be that you just like the song or it could have a slightly deeper meaning. What is it, first of all? Who is it? Cameras, Matt and Kim. Yeah. Uh, firstly, it's the best music video I've ever seen. I know this is an audio-only podcast, which is a shame, but it's the it's the best music video I've ever seen in my life. The, the, the choreography is just something else, honestly. And it's just... It's happy. It's a. It's a lot of fun. It has a good message. Um, I don't really usually pay too much attention to lyrics because uh, they don't usually mean a lot um, for me. I quite like the rhythm and the beat of the of of a particular song. And um, I think the lyrics are quite good. Um, and it just you know it's all about just living in the moment and put away your cameras. We'll use our eyes instead. Uh, it's basically the theme of the song. Thank you to Mo for participating this week and thank you to everyone else for listening. Now, if you would like to be on an episode of Stay Home, please get in touch with me over social media. Follow our Instagram and Twitter at Stay Home Podcast. Yep, it's the same handle for both accounts. This is also where you'll be able to find updates on upcoming episodes and more.